Hi, guys. Mark, are you checking IDs on the way out? Six and under. I'm similar with Derek. I'm surprised to see so many of us in here today. It's a holiday weekend. It's the last day of summer. You guys got your snow boots ready? You seen what is coming? My goodness. I really appreciate the prayer, Josh. It's this idea that we are here to seek the wisdom of God. We can do that from wherever we're at. Right? If you're watching it online, if you're in the woods, if you're in a community, we can do that wherever we're at. I just really appreciate all of us coming together collectively to seek God and his goodness. There's just power in that. All right. So if I don't know you, my name's Evan. I'm the pastor down here. The last, I guess, 12 weeks this summer, we went through a series called We Are They, where we studied through the first seven chapters of Acts. And from this, we looked at the early church and learned that we have the ability to experience God in the same way that they did. But it requires at least three things, just from what we learned from that book. One, we must know that we are called to be ambassadors of God for those, to those around us. We must rely heavily on the Spirit, and we must be surrounded by our community. I looked at that last week. You know, you have opportunities right now to be surrounded by your community. If you're not involved in a small group and there's been that thought in your mind, like, man, I should be, what about a four-week commitment, one month, to get involved with a small group? You know, over the next month while we study, we're going to be looking at how we should heavily rely on the Spirit. You know, today as a church, we start our annual 21 Days of Intention. Each time of year during this transition, when we move from summer to fall and families' routines change, we look at ways in which we can intentionally make God our priority for just a three-week period. Just three weeks. It's such a small part of the year. I did the math 5%. But science, specifically neurology, has discovered that three weeks can have a huge impact on a person's life because of what it can do to their brain. Just 21 days. So some of you have read through this book, Switch on Your Brain, by a woman named Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Um, it's really, if you're into, interested in the brain at all and the power that we have over it, I heavily recommend it. But let me just read you a quote. She's a neurologist. Your patterns of genetic experience don't determine what you are. You do. How you live, the cultural environments you live in, whatever you immerse yourself in, your beliefs and the beliefs of those around you, how you interact with those people, your faith and how it grows, what you expose yourself to. All of these lead to differences in the way you focus your attention and have a direct effect on how your proteins are synthesized, how your enzymes act, and how your neurochemicals work together. If you don't believe you have the power to change your thoughts and control your choices, then you're not going to do it. Doing your own brain surgery or neuroplastic intervention of toxic thinking and renewing your mind is based on regular, ex regular exercising of your brain. Change takes place over time through continual persistence. Intervention of the mind changes the brain physically, chemically, structurally, and functionally. I know that's a lot just to throw out there. If you want to borrow that book or have that book, come and grab it from me. Right? This is the reason why we do 21 days of intention each year as a church, 
to collectively encourage and support us as we individually make God our priority. I first did this about a decade ago, and it literally changed my life. Rosalind and I were living in Hawaii, and we loved the island life. But I was in the midst of a 13-year addiction to smoking weed. And because of that, our marriage was being dragged into places that God had not intended it to be. In multiple and profound ways, God had stepped into my world before this, clearly expressing that I needed to plant my feet to turn away from what was destroying my life, but I was unable to free myself from that literal mouth-watering reaction I would have to marijuana. Coincidentally, or because of divine providence, depending on how you see life, in the midst of my battle, our church was practicing 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because of the power of influence that a community can have, I decided to be a part of it. For those three weeks, I developed a plan of intermittent fasting, that's off and on, and daily setting apart time for God. By the end of those 21 days, my brain had been rewired. Since then, in the past 10 years, not once have I experienced the craving that I used to on a regular basis. Not once has my mouth watered when I would hear about or even see or smell weed. In just three weeks of intentionally making God my priority, 13 years of habitual, foolish choices was destroyed. And my mind was set free to live more like how God wanted me to live. Now, I know this is one of those Hallmark-style stories, but one cannot deny the scientific and biblical truths that show that by simply bringing God to the forefront of your mind, your life can be overwhelmed by his goodness. Now, we glance at the scientific. I want to dig into the biblical. So we're going to look through Psalms 1. If you have your Bible in front of you, it's just like five or six verses, real short. You can just keep it there. I am a teacher at heart. My desire is to give you the tools to study and learn on your own. It's not to be up here to inspire you and give you the tingles that make you go out and change your life. It's to give you the ability to understand the thing that can change your life. So let's read it. Psalms 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. So, not so the wicked. They are like the shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You guys have heard this before, I assume, right? It's pretty common. So the first thing that I want us to hear as we begin to understand this is what kind of literature we just read and will continue to read through. What is this? poetry, right? This is not narrative, a story. This is not a letter written from one individual to another. It is a type of writing that has the goal of communicating the author's experiences and emotions and evoking similar emotions in the reader. In order to do this, the poet often uses metaphors and similes, descriptions of things that we can picture or that are even around us. 
In order to best understand poetry, we must take time to read and reread the intentionally chosen words and phrases in order to discover the deeper message that the author is wanting to communicate. Go ahead and put that first slide up again of Psalms 1, sorry. Did he just write whatever came to his mind right off the bat? You see how short and well-crafted it is? It means that he was very intentional about the words that he chose. So that means that we have to be intentional about studying it in order to understand what he wants. So as we go through this, my hope is that we can better understand David's intentions behind what he wrote. So we'll start with that first line now. Blessed is the one. Now, the word blessed, you guys have heard that before, or blessed. I kind of sounded like King James Version there. Blessed is the one, right? Blessed is the Hebrew word for esher, which has the idea of happiness or contentment. One commentator defined it as supremely happy or fulfilled. That means that being blessed is what every individual who has ever lived has wanted, to be fully satisfied without a desire for anything else. Imagine that. You've heard that word a lot if you've been in the church circles, but imagine what it would be like to be truly blessed, to experience that sort of contentment. Now, it's important to see that this is not referring to the salvation of a person's soul, the deepest and eternal parts of everyone. Blessed is referring to a way that a person feels during their day-to-day lives. The lens through which people view themselves and the world around them is directly tied to this idea of contentment and purpose. I feel like those are the two most important things for people, to be content and to know they have purpose. Now, I point this out, the fact that it's not dealing with salvation, because as we continue, I don't want us to begin to think that David recommends to do these things in order to earn God's love and favor, to work our way into heaven by doing more good than evil. In another one of his Psalms, David tells us how to gain righteousness or a pure standing before our Creator which is what allows us to be in his presence when our body dies. Let's look at some verses from Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Who is the one doing all of the actions in this? It's God, right? David knows that the only way for a person to be made pure, to be forgiven of their sins, to be saved, is by God stepping in and bringing what only he can bring. It has nothing to do with how many good marks we tally up in life. It is fully dependent on us crying out to God and seeking that he brings what only he can bring. So in Psalms 1, the advice that the author is giving is to help us have a better life now. And I feel like this is just as important as the eternal state of someone's soul. And David is declaring that it is fully attainable for everyone. Do you notice this? In verse 1, he starts with a statement of fact. Blessed is the one. He doesn't say there is a chance that the one will be blessed. He says... Instead, he makes a definitive statement that a person will be blessed, and there's no exceptions to this. I love the way that Spurgeon put it. It is not blessed as the king, blessed as the scholar, blessed as the rich, but blessed is the one. This blessedness is as attainable by the poor, the forgotten, and the obscure as by those whose names figure in history and are trumpeted by fame. 
After his opening line, David lays out the ways to be blessed. Let's look at that first verse again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of the mockers. Now, in Hebrew culture, especially in the 10th century BC, that's when David was living and writing, the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers were referring to people who did not live in accordance with the law that God had given to the Israelites through Moses. Now, for us, think of the word wicked. That term very rarely, if ever, has anything to do with not living in accordance with God's standard. It's more of like the really bad people, the sadistic, right? Those who desire to torture, right? When you hear wicked, you think of like the low of the low. But for the Israelites, it was in direct relation to whether or not a person followed the Torah or the law. To help us better relate to this, we would fall under the category of wicked if we were more interested in money than God. We would be considered a sinner if we trusted things like sex, alcohol, marijuana, mountain biking, skateboarding, art, whatever, to bring us lasting peace and contentment. We would be considered a mocker if we filled our time, all of our time, with work and social media and Netflix, instead of intentionally taking time each week to carve time for God, otherwise known as taking Sabbath. Bottom line, if we would put ourselves and our own wisdom above God, then we would have been considered among the wicked. Now, I tell you this so that way you can better understand how this applies to us. And according to David, in order to be fully content and satisfied, one must not listen to, follow, or spend time with those who live this way, those that don't go to God and his instructions on how to live. In verse 4, David describes what happens to the wicked. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff, the wind that the wind blows away. Now, by thinking through the Hebrew lens of what made a person wicked, for me, the result of their choices makes logical sense. If a person is not living the way that their creator instructed them to, then, them to live, then they are living the way that they or someone else sees best. A created being's position in the universe is extremely temporary and limited. On average, we live about 80 years, right? Due to the size of our brain, we have very little ability to understand the grand scheme of things. So when we are relying on our temporary and limited perspective to bring us complete fulfillment and contentment, going to things like money, friends, work, sex, right? Whatever you're drawn to. The odds are so low that we will get what we are all seeking. According to David, when we trust ourselves and other fleeting creatures, we will be simply blown around like shaft by the wind, constantly chasing one temporary fix after another. Now, shaft, most of you probably know what this is, but it's a non-fruit part of a grain plant. Parts like the husk that are very light and do not contain anything of lasting value. Once the fruit is removed, the chaff is either piled up and burned or it blows away. David is saying the same is true of a man's own wisdom and advice on finding lasting wisdom and purpose. Because we are temporary and our perception is limited, we are unable to produce anything of lasting value on our own. Following only our own ideas is like chasing after the wind. 
guys probably heard that phrase before. Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man on earth, repeats this over and over. I, see, I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Man, if this was our only option to depend on our own thoughts and our own insight to gain contentment and purpose, then, like Solomon says, life would be meaningless. But according to David, we got another option. Let's look, go back to Psalms 1, verse 2. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. I'm going to keep unpacking this for you. To delight means that you take great pleasure in something. It's synonymous with desire and longing. The law of the Lord is the direction or instruction that our creator gives to his creation on how best to live. Notice that law is not capitalized. So most likely this is not referring to the Torah or the specific commandments given from Mount Sinai. Rather, it's this idea that a person should take great pleasure and longing to know God's plan for their life. Not to memorize the first five books of the Bible, but to know what God wants you to do during your days. Now, when a person does this, according to David, there's direct benefits to their life in the here and now. Let's look at verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Such a beautiful image. You know, in wanting to better understand what David is referring to, I did a little bit of research. Here's a picture of a tree in Galilee, specifically a pistachio tree. Apparently the fruit trees in Palestine, trees that bear almonds, olives, figs, dates, they look similar to oak trees here. Right? Those massive and hardy trees that have been around for hundreds of years and have survived countless storms. In this analogy, we are told that our delight or our desire or our longing is in, when it's in God's plans for us, then we are like these massive trees planted by streams of water, yielding our fruit in season, and our leaves do not wither. Time for a simple botany lesson. This is simple. I'm sure you guys know this all, but just in case. For a tree, water is what allows it to continue to grow, to develop. It is what allows it to produce leaves and fruit. Leaves are what allow trees the ability to breathe. It's how they process oxygen. From the same buds of the leaves comes fruit. For a fruit tree, making fruit is one of its main purposes. But the fruit only comes in seasons. Man, I've spent so much time meditating on the way that that could apply to us, and I really hope you do the same, just kind of picturing this. You know, but one thing I want you to see, one of my interpretations, is that this is showing us that by seeking God's direction for our lives, we are given what we need to develop more and more into who he made us to be. As this happens, we find more and more ways to be content, to be able to deeply breathe in the value of the moment, to be satisfied in what we have in the here and now. And like the, these leaves, our contentment never has to fade. Imagine that. 
And it's out of this contentment we are able to better accomplish our God-given purposes or bear fruit. But it's important that we know we must be patient as we wait for our purposes to become reality. God did not create us to live in instant gratification when it comes to our purposes. You know, as, we've been, as I've been studying through Psalms 1 this week, the part of this analogy that stood out the most for me is the word planted. If you wouldn't mind bringing that back up. Yeah, let's go with uh, verse 3. Thank you. David could have easily just said streams by, said trees by streams of water. But he intentionally said trees planted by streams of water. That means that we have all, that all we have is from the one who put us here, our maker. This means that we have been placed in this time and space for a reason. That we have been created to bear specific types of fruit or do specific things. You are not an accident or a random cause and effect of evolution. You are God's workmanship or his masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. And when we desire to know his plans, then our lives will be a billion times better than shaft being blown around by the wind. We will be like trees planted by streams of water. And at the beginning of this, I mentioned that poetry can be a way for the poet to express his experiences in ways that show his emotions and the, the lessons that he learned. Right? It's not always just a well-crafted collection of words that, sound good to get, that sounds good together. I've mentioned this over and over. This was written by David, the same David that killed Goliath and that was king over Israel. When you read through his life in First and Second Samuel, you can see why he wrote First Psalms, Psalms 1. Right? As the youngest son and shepherd, which are two of the most undignified positions in Hebrew culture, he was told that he would be king over Israel, that he would be blessed. But it did not happen instantly. Instead of instant gratification, he had to spend 10 years hiding in the wilderness, running from the current king Saul who wanted his head. During that time of hiding, he had multiple opportunities to eliminate his problem and take a hold of the throne. In both recorded events, David is counseled by men to take advantage of the moment and kill Saul and put himself in the position where he knew he was supposed to be. But in both cases, David confidently says no because it was not a part of God's plan. Let me show you one example. 1 Samuel 24, 6. This is after he cut off the corner of Saul's robe while Saul was going to the bathroom in the same cave. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, Saul, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. Instead of following the advice of the wicked, doing what seemed best for him in that moment, David stays firmly fixed to God's plan or the law of the Lord, even though it meant that he would have to continue to wander, to be homeless, to live in caves. In another one of his Psalms, we see the direct result of David's choices of turning away from the path of sinners and longing for God's will for him. This is one of my favorite sections of, of Scripture, Psalms 34. Remember, this is David talking from all of his experiences. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. 
This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Or blessed, same word. Oh, fear the Lord, you holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's contentment that he's describing. Something else, this is a Bible nerd, but the angel of the Lord, whenever it says the angel instead of an angel, most people think that this is talking about Jesus. See that Jesus encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. After David's days of running are over, he is the most successful king in all of Israelite history. He leads his nation to total freedom from all the surrounding enemies. In all he did, he prospered. In Psalms 1, David confidently wrote about God's blessing coming on anyone that chooses to trust their creator instead of themselves or those around them because he had experienced it firsthand. This Psalms is not a beautiful idea, but it is a testimony. A story of the way that God specifically stepped into a person's life. And I really hope that when you are at home this evening, that you would read and reread Psalms 1. Taking time to think through, pray through, meditate upon what God is talking to you about now. The ways that you can apply this to your life. You know, there are a lot of different ways that we could do this during the 21 days. Derek already kind of pointed this out. But on the back of here, there's so many good ideas on how to show that you delight in the Lord that he is your priority, that he is the most important thing to you. But as a teacher who has a platform right now, I don't want to just let you go without giving you an explicit challenge, if you will. Something that I have seen from Psalms 1, that David wants us to do, advises us to do. So in Psalms 1, David implicitly shows us that everybody is always being influenced. It's impossible for us not to be swayed. There's no middle ground in life. We are either being influenced by the ways of this world or by the one who made it. And in many ways, the choice is ours. A major deciding factor of who influences our lives is how we spend our time. In verse 1, David uses the verbs follow, take the path, or sit with the wicked. That means that when we choose to spend time physically, mentally, or electronically in environments that don't desire to know God's plan for his creation. Think about all the different ways we do that. Each day we do that. In verse 2, he says that the blessed are those who meditate on his law day and night. Now, meditation may sound like a hippie, Buddha-like word to you, and I get that. But... According to Google's dictionary, meditate is simply defined as thinking deeply or carefully about something. That means that David is saying that those who give their time to thinking about God will receive all that they need. 
Now, I don't believe that we're all called to pull away to monasteries on mountaintops and spend our time simply meditating and reading the Bible and maybe serving one another, right? We are created to live normal lives, lives that are full of interacting with people, working jobs, having fun. But in the midst of all that we do, we still have the ability to deeply think about God and his plan for us. No matter where your body must be, your mind is still free. Now, I know that our minds must be used to accomplish our jobs for the day, and therefore, it is silly to expect a person to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. But something that I have discovered is that if I intentionally spend time at the beginning of my day, deeply and carefully thinking about God, then thoughts about God naturally flow into my mind throughout the rest of my day. How I start my day has major influences on everything that follows. So, if you're interested in making God your priority for the next 21 days, consider intentionally setting apart time in the morning to pray, to call out to God, to read the Bible, to read some form of devotional, right? To just be quiet and give the Spirit a chance to speak. But do this before you look at your phone. There's a challenge. Right, you, you guys, we just, oh, let me just glance real quick at my phone. But the moment that I do that, then my mind and everything that I am is sucked into a world that I was not ready to enter into. So before you grab your phone, take that time. Before you get your kids ready for school, make time for that to happen. Before you leave the house and rush about everything that you must do, for that day, take time to seek God. And it does not have to be long, right? 15 minutes. Do longer if you can, but just 15 minutes every day for the next 21 days. And you don't have to just sit. That might sound boring to you. One of my favorite ways to meditate is while mountain biking in the morning. My body's moving. My mind is clear. It's incredible what that brings to me. So that's, that's what I want to leave you with. It's simple. But according to David, if we are intentional about making God our priorities, then we will be like trees planted by streams of water. We will have leaves that do not wither. We will have fruit that continually is born regardless of what's going on around us. And all we do, we'll prosper. Let's worship more, guys. Come on up.